Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Andrew Mason. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, and that is John Epperson. John, do you want to say hello? Hey, everybody. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I don't think you've been on the show before, so do you want to give us a brief introduction? Tell us why you're famous, how we found you, all that stuff. <laughs> sure. I think famous is kind of the wrong word, but that's okay. Infamous. Uh, infamous. I don't want to be that either. Have uh, you heard that line from the Three Amigos? You're so famous, <laughs> well, you're infamous. Yeah, that's fair. It's all good. So I've been doing Ruby for about 12 years now, since 2007. I just kind of like backed into it as my first job and have been doing it ever since. And uh, done a lot of DevOps work on the way. I actually know Andrew Mason. I worked with him before. I still mentor him or whatever. I wrote this thing called ShipLane because I've been doing Docker stuff and I've actually been doing DevOps stuff pretty much my whole career because I work with small companies and you know you wear multiple hats. I really got into Docker a couple years ago, but I thought something was missing. So I wrote ShipLane to fill that gap. It's a short story. Nice. We should get you on Adventures in DevOps to talk about this one. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I felt pain and I wanted to get rid of it. And that's that's what ShipLane's all about. So Nice. Well, apropos to what we were talking about before the show, I felt pain too. I have kids. Um, <laughs> no, I'm fair. just kidding. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> blessing and a curse, kids. Anyway, I'm a little curious as we dive into this, just what are the problems you were seeing with Docker? Sure. So I, I think the the important thing is to start with why I liked Docker and why I cared, right? So for me, Docker was this promise that I could delegate a lot of this manual DevOps work that you end up having to do to something else. And that that something else was smart enough and able enough to actually successfully handle all of it, automate all of it. One of the big holes that I saw was, okay, so maybe you have a a Docker thing going on in development, which I know that you guys have discussed and we can talk more about that or whatever. And maybe you have a Docker thing going on in production, but what do you do to get it there, right? For me, if I'm like trying to define what DevOps is, I usually say, oh, well, that's that's all the stuff in between, hey, I did some work in development and I need it to be in production so everybody else can see it. All of that stuff in between sort of to me is DevOps stuff. And, and to me, everyone was hiring all of these people to push buttons or or you like you get one of these SaaS services and you're like, okay, well, uh, now I'm using ECS. Okay, well, I have to go log into AWS, configure a bunch of things using their tool, and then I still have to like go and push buttons in order to make things happen. And I was like, well, that's not really automated. I wanted something that like did all <laughs> of it. So that to me was the problem that I was trying to solve with ShipLane. Still is. It's a lot closer. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm going to be diving into Docker this week, especially with Rails, because basically Ruby Rogues, uh, they, they've just invited me. We're going to be doing a live podcast session at uh, Microsoft Ignite. Nice. I told them I was going to talk about containerizing a Rails app. <laughs> and I've never <laughs> done it before, so... That's what I was about to ask. I just listened to a few podcasts where you guys are discussing Docker, and that's where I thought you were. So Yeah, that's about where I'm at. So I'm about to hit a trial by fire, I guess. But it's not as straightforward as you would think. And at the same time, I mean, it seems like there are some tools that make it easy to get going. But yeah, then it's, okay, well, I've got this container set up now. How do I make this work in production? And how do I make sure that production, you know, the production stuff is lining up with the whatchamacallit, the the not production stuff, the development stuff. And yeah, you know, all of those things. And I, I do, I want it to be automatic. I don't want to have to think about, you know, how many instances is it spinning up in the Kubernetes cluster or did this get updated in the in the proper way to blah, 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 so that it can go to production and all of the things that I think we've talked about on this show before. So what what exactly does ShipLane do to solve some of these problems? So it has a few pieces. Right now, the working piece of ShipLane, so the thing that's out there in the open that if you go install my gym, you're getting. It assumes that you have a box out there, whether it's a VM or an actual physical box in your basement or whatever, and that you have SSH access to it. So that probably means Unix of some kind. I have no one testing Windows and giving me feedback, so until that happens, I'm probably not going to really actually solve that problem. But as soon as you have a box, it logs in, it make sure that you have Docker installed. Then it goes, it, it gives you the ability to actually take your development Docker Compose, convert it to a productionized version. And it also gives you, it hooks in right now to Capistrano. So right now you're probably familiar if you use Capistrano running Cap Production Deploy. Well, it more or less replaces the Capistrano stuff with ShipLanes stuff. And right now, ShipLane is using Docker Raw. That's the version that you're getting. So it goes up there. It creates a network for your stuff to work within. It deploys the containers that you want. And boom, your service is up and running. I can definitely answer some questions about that, but that's sort of the raw version of it. That's interesting. I'm I'm still beginner enough to where I'm not 100% sure which questions are the most relevant. Let me pull it apart a little bit. So right now, there's a few different like strategies that you can use in production to run Docker stuff, right? A lot of people are using Kubernetes, super popular. Maybe you could be using Docker Swarm. A lot of people are using Docker Compose in production. And there are still people that are using Docker you know, just by itself or whatever. I didn't want to run containers by logging into my production machine and running Docker Run with a bunch of stuff after it. Like, I thought that was dumb. And, you know, people then say, oh, well, you write a script. That's cool. But then that's a custom script, right? I now have to maintain that separately from my app. I, I didn't like that stuff. I wanted to be able to say, my Docker Compose YAML describes all of the dependencies in my app. Therefore, I should just be able to replicate that to production. And that's more or less, that's what this one does. It runs it on Docker Run. It logs into your server. You tell it, hey, I want these containers. You know, I need a Sidekick container. I need an app container. And right now, on the two apps that I have in production, because they were small enough, I said, all right, I can run Redis and Postgres inside of containers, and they won't hit any of the problems you know, that I have. So it, it boots those up as well. I am currently working on a version 
that will basically translate your Docker Compose into Kubernetes YAML files. There's a few choices that have to be made, and I don't actually have a good app to test that on because testing on a single mm-hmm. container is like, it's kind of, there's no reason to use Kubernetes on, you know, my static website. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the Kubernetes API is ever-changing, and that makes it difficult to keep up with. They recently released version 1.16, and there were a lot of different kind of breaking changes with daemon sets and the different containers. So I can see where that'd be difficult. Yeah, I figure that what I'm probably going to support in ShipLane itself is probably Docker Raw, maybe Docker Compose, and Kubernetes. And Kubernetes mainly because it's so popular. For example, I'm using Chef right now to provision, and I'm probably going to switch to using Ansible at some point, but I'm probably never going to make a Puppet version. Like, I'm not going to support it if you want Puppet. But I, I wrote it in such a way that if you wanted to create a plugin, you could you know, use your plugin instead of using ShipLane's provisioning service. Now, I'd be interested in seeing ShipLane do something with like an EB deploy. So will ShipLane automatically publish to a registry, whether a private or public registry? And then when you deploy it, it pulls from that? Yeah, so the three main steps, right, are like bootstrapping your server, right, which is sort of you have a server, you're installing Docker, whatever dependencies you need on it, right? The second step is sort of that build phase which is where what you're asking about would happen. And the third phase is the deployment. So during the build phase, right now, if you install my tool, you go bundle exec cap, ship production ship lane or whatever, it's going to build that Docker image and it's going to upload it right now to Docker Hub or whatever. Though I definitely, with GitHub coming out with uh, their registry, I definitely want to try that. But yeah, it uploads it to Docker Hub. And then when you go deploy, all that's happening is it's downloading from Docker Hub, right? And and putting it on your thing. If you go to Kubernetes, right, it's more or less going to do the same thing. It's going to pull down from your Docker registry and it's going to, you know, put it in a container and then a pod right there, right? And the same way, I think, with EB or something, you know, any of the other services, Google's Kubernetes service or whatever, right? You just need to have a registry somewhere and they can pull from that. So the only thing that would really need to change in that case would be, what's your deployment strategy? The build strategy gets to remain the same in that case. Right. So the build strategy, just to summarize in like two sentences, is you build the container, you push it up to Docker Hub or something, you know, some repo- um, and then basically pass it off to some orchestrator and, and have it run it. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. I mean... People are writing all of these scripts right now to do it. People are already doing this in their CI, right? They they spend a yes. bunch of time writing these long scripts to do this stuff. And I just wrote a thing that I think contains a sort of sane path, right, to do it. And you can then, you know, just run that from your CI. Makes sense. Or at least it makes sense to me. I have been using Rails for about 12 years and and I was extremely inspired by Rails, right? So for me, the magic of Rails isn't that there's a bunch of magical stuff in Rails. The magic of Rails is that it provides sort of like this this pathway, the same pathway through what's sort of a Wild West out there. And that's kind of what I see in the Docker world right now. There's a lot of choices that you can make. I was just listening to you guys' episode with Julian not too long ago, right? And uh, he talks about, hey, look, you have to make a choice between Kubernetes or Docker Swarm. There's so many choices to make. And they're not wrong. But once you make one choice... It causes you to have to make other choices. 
And you have to know that. And there's so many choices to make and so many consequences from your choices. It's difficult to know, you know, your path. And so that's how I see ship lane. That's why it's called ship lane. The idea is, hey, look, this is what the ship lane is. You can go wherever you want in the ocean. This is where everybody else is going, you know. And I saw that from Rails and I like was trying to create that for Docker. So if I want to get it rolling, do I just gem install ship lane and then I have an executable that'll run or is there more to it than that? So you called gem install ship lane. It actually right now is hooking into Capistrano. So you need okay. Capistrano, but that'll come with it. Uh, it's a uh, requirement. I haven't actually played with installing it um, globally or whatever, though I was actually pairing with Andrew Mason two weeks ago. And we talked about that, and it's on my list to try and do because we decided that that actually is probably a better way to do it. Right now, I suggest you install it in your app. I would say you put it put it in your bundle file. It's definitely tested that way. And then you require it in Capistrano? Yep. So you actually, there's generator, which should generate that for you. Okay. So I would say if you already have Capistrano installed, that might not interact perfectly well. But on a completely new app, that's what you, I would suggest you just generate from there. Okay, so it has a, it has Capistrano listed as a dependency requirement. It does. Yeah, yeah, I will say when we were pairing two weeks ago, there's a bunch of example files um, in Shiplane right now, and just using those example files, like I had purchased a Rails template called Jumpstart Pro a few months ago, and I'd never really done anything with it, um, so. I was interested in trying Shiplane out. So I took that because it's a full functioning app with Sidekick and everything already inside of it. And just using the example files that are in the Shiplane repo, I was able to Dockerize the app very, very fast. And then working with John like to Shiplane it, like we, I think, got to the point where I could have deployed it, but I had some SSH issues with, what was I using? Uh, some hosting provider I was using that I don't remember the name You're of right using, now. You're uh, using DigitalOcean. Right. So I've never ever used before. So I'm sure if I had, that would have probably sped the process up. But like in an hour and a half, I think it took me like 30 minutes to Dockerize the app. We spent like an hour and a half talking through some things and using Shiplane. And it, I think it's about ready to go. I just need to figure out some, some of those SSH issues I was having. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to get people to test drive it and then like tell me, I haven't checked the uh, the Ruby gems thing, but I know that like last time I checked it, like almost a thousand, if not a thousand, people had downloaded it, but nobody had told me whether it worked or not. So, is anyone actually running it in production then that you know of? I have two apps in production. I have a buddy that I made here in town or whatever. He's uh, he's an older guy that's like retired and and he's been making like software for a bunch of synagogues. He's he's Jewish and. Uh, Anyway, he's making like software for synagogues and we're ship landing his thing. Other than those three things, nothing's running on production right now that I know of. Yeah, 3,000 people have downloaded it. You're not telling me. (laughs) Well, hopefully we can get you some feedback. (laughs) I got some from Andrew. I actually took a ton of notes. And some of the notes I noticed, Andrew, for example, like I had said, oh, I need to document this or document that. And I discovered that I actually had documented it, but we weren't following my my documentation, we were just kind of rolling. So definitely I feel like following the instructions is important for this, at least right now. It almost sounds like it's Docker on, or Rails on Docker on Rails. I wrote this as a general thing, right? Like you do have to install a gem right now, 
But long term, I feel like this is something that applies to everything. Obviously, having a lot of Rails experience, I had a Rails app handy. I put that in the examples folder. But um, my goal is to try and get you know other things as well because I think it. I think it's a general solution to be honest. But yeah, I mean, uh, you're going to have to be able to bundle right now until I create an executable out of it. Right. I guess the other part of the deployment stuff is just all of the external things in your data in your database to go away. And so, you know, that, I guess that's all tied up though when you're a Docker image. Yeah. So this probably is something that I was, after listening to this Docker episodes, I was like slightly expecting Dave to throw this question to me. But so I'm perfectly happy to put Postgres and Redis in Docker containers because I'm not getting I'm not even getting like one IOPS a second, right? So that's not really an issue for my static sites. But for people who are concerned about putting stuff in containers and or you actually you know, have tons of IOPS per second, so you can't, it's intended to work out of the box with, okay, well, I'm just going to use Amazon's RDS service or something, right? right? And put my database out there. Or I'm going to have Amazon. Uh, I don't remember what the Redis uh, thing is, but they Ooh, have something. Cash. Yeah, there you go. I just use Amazon's Elasticash, right? So it's just an IP address that you point to, right? Or, or host name, instead of in your YAML files pointing to your local dot worker network, you just point to RDS or Elasticash instead. It's just a configuration choice. Yeah, I think when we start talking about containerizing services that are available on the infrastructure platform of our choice, like AWS or Azure, I usually step back and question like, am I creating this infrastructure correctly? You know, do I need to be dockerizing the Redis instance or could I have a cloud formation or something like the uh, Jet framework to create a cloud formation of that Redis instance and then use the uh, AWS's AMIs to pull down the endpoint URLs or not the AMIs, the uh, IAM the IAM profiles. So to me, it still feels kind of funny to have in either Kubernetes or in Docker in a production instance where those services are available to put them Redis, Postgres and stuff in a uh, container for a production use. If this is a staging or testing or whatever, then you know those have their own merits to put them in Docker to just simplify that infrastructure. So I don't actually disagree with you on that, right? I think what you're advocating, it sounds like, is, hey, there's sort of a line here and some choices that I have to make, right? And and I should make appropriate choices. And, and I agree 100% with that. But I think everybody falls in a different place. Like for me, I don't know if it's obvious, but the reason why I wrote Shiplane is because I want to think about things from a high level and I kind of want to delegate a lot of the details down to something, right? That's why I love automation personally. And I don't necessarily want to purposefully make my staging and production environments and development environments different. I actually like the idea of, of making them all almost exactly the same. So for me, in situations mm-hmm. where I'm not running into the limitations of containers, who cares if I have a Postgres running in a container or Redis running in a container? In production, I feel like you're going to run into trouble. And actually, you've mentioned on the podcast before where 
you have a container that like sort of drops out, like as you pointed out, Kubernetes will like kill containers because of a health check or something, right? Which might have nothing to do with your Postgres instance itself. Process is actually probably the right word there. Those are the problems or high IOPS, right? Like if you're hitting the disk a lot, right? Like that's a that's another thing that your container can struggle with. But most people don't have high IOPS. Like 90 plus percent of developers theoretically could run Postgres in a container and not actually run into those problems. I just don't think we're confident enough in it to really recommend it to everybody. And I don't want to yeah. be the person on the books that told everyone to do it. So don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think that there is a level of abstraction that causes confusion. So let's say, okay, I do put my Postgres instance in a container instead of using the RDS that AWS provides. Well, where does my data go? How can I guarantee that that data is going to be persisted even through a persistent volume claim or amount? You know, where's that going to be? Is it going to be on S3? You know, so I think it raises questions that have not yet been answered. Yeah, you're not wrong, right? Like the the really simple response to that is, oh yeah, it just goes in a volume. But you're actually speaking beyond that, which is like, okay, where does the volume itself actually live, right? Yeah. I get that. There's still... If you're going to do that, you have some more questions to answer. It's part of the reason why Shiplane supports the idea of RDS. I mean, it just natively comes out of the box. You just have to point it somewhere else, right? Yeah. So for me, like not blocking that was important because I figured that's a really good, it's a good solution for most people. To let somebody else take care of your database makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, ultimately, and, and it's funny because before... And I still do this to some degree, but before when I was more on the code side and less on the running a podcast network side, I did a lot of things that were, well, I can do this and so I'm not going to pay somebody else to do it. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm, I've got so many other things running that it, it's just worth the, the time, or, you know, for my time to hand that off so I can focus on the stuff that's uniquely my problem, you know, uniquely something that I need to solve. So yeah, handing off those kinds of tasks like database management and things like that, it makes a lot of sense to me just to go, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to worry about these other problems. And yeah, let Amazon solve that for me. Yep. Shiplane is a delegation tool. It's designed to help you delegate things that, in my opinion, you shouldn't have to necessarily be an expert in to a tool, yeah. right? You could do every single thing in Shiplane and people are today doing every single thing that Shiplane does themselves. But I see people hiring these large teams to handle DevOps, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. To me, it seems crazy because most of what they're doing should exist. I, I, I felt like Docker already promised that to me, and I'm just like surprised that it's not widespread. Docker, you lied to me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Now, one thing I will say about Docker that is very attractive is deployment time. So if you're going to deploy a normal application, let's say with rolling restarts to a cluster of web servers behind a load balancer. So the idea is you want to take out half of your servers at a time, deploy the new code, make sure they're healthy. Once they're healthy, add them back into the load balancer, pull out the second half and do the same thing. Well, the nice thing about Docker is that you build your image, you push it to a repository, you have your production web servers 
pull that Docker image, and then start it up. Everything is already bundled. All the assets are pre-compiled at this point, or at least if you're doing it properly with your CICD, building the Docker image and pushing it up to a registry, hopefully you're doing those steps. And then you deploy those Docker images. Well, to download a 200 megabyte Docker image on a production instance isn't going to take very long. So you can cut your deployment times down from maybe five to 10 minutes per web server down to like 15 seconds. Yep. Yeah. It it is a lot faster. Does this work for things that are not Rails? I mean, I'm working on some podcast tracking stuff and we split one of the apps off just because it, it does stuff that's completely independent of the rest of the app. And it's written in Sinatra. And so I, I, I would imagine that it's pretty much the same, but I don't know for 100% sure. Yeah, it I would have be. no dependencies on Rails. So I'm not deploying a Sinatra app right now, but I see no reason why it wouldn't work. And if you deploy a Sinatra app, or in, if you want my help, I'll even pair with you because I want more test cases. You know, we can throw it in the examples file or generalize it and then throw it in the examples file. Yeah, that makes sense. It is something that I kind of want to get together. The other thing is, is I don't know how much the app is going to scale. And this is one of the promises that I feel like Docker and Kubernetes and some of the other ones have made is that I can put it into a container. I can, you know, hand it off to my favorite cloud provider and they'll spin up and down instances for me depending on how much I need. And that way I'm, I don't go out and like provision like 10 extra servers for anything because I don't need them. And instead, I, you know, I get the promise of that kind of instant scalability without having to play any extra games to get it. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Elastic Beanstalk, which a lot of DevOps people, I guess, consider it like my first cloud. But it has auto-scaling groups and stuff. So you can have a minimum of two T3 small instances, which aren't very beefy. They're not going to handle you know, the whole world's traffic. But as the application starts getting more traffic, it'll instantly start provisioning new servers. Once traffic dies down, it'll start killing them off. So you're only paying for what you actually need. And with that, it does support Docker. So you can deploy your Docker containers to these EC2 instances, and then it'll start 